What's going on with unions in veterinary medicine? This week, we've got an exciting update from one of the people that's involved with this all around the country. And we're also going to discuss what about our organized veterinary medicine groups? How are they helping or not as we proceed down these avenues of social change? This is a good one, guys. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And there are some episodes that I get especially amped up for, and this is going to be one of them. Today, we are back with our dear friend, Liz Houston, an extraordinary veterinary technician, and she's going to give us so many updates on what's happening with unions in veterinary medicine. And we're also going to explore how are some of our organizations helping or hurting our causes. But before we get into that important and exciting conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, I just can't wait for this conversation. I mean, you know, I am such a huge fan of Liz Houston. She is just extraordinary in so many ways. And what precipitated this whole conversation was we had a chance meeting at AVMA recently, and Liz, in about 30 seconds, just blew my brain up with all the updates that were happening around unionization in veterinary medicine. And so I want to definitely share that with you viewfinders. But more importantly, what came out of that conversation Becky and I continued to explore, wait a second, how are some of our organized veterinary medicine groups actually helping us or maybe not? And we want to talk about what we think they should be doing and how we can all work together. So before we go any further, Liz, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with both of you. You're two of my favorite people in veterinary medicine. Uh, well, Liz, the, the sentiment is both ways. We are huge fans of yours. Well, first of all, I want you just to, to explain where we are. Like, you know, for some people, it might have been a year or two since they've heard you speak on the show. But talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing to help unionize veterinary professionals around the country. Just start there, and then we can get to the update. Sure. That sounds great. We at the National Veterinary Professionals Union, we are continuing to work to uh, – try to help improve the work lives of veterinary team members all over the country. Uh, the, we, we are off trying to do that through organi organizing, so creating unions within veterinary practices. Our focus is on corporate veterinary practices for lots of different reasons, um, although part of my update will be that we now have uh, the first privately owned veterinary hospital that has organized not with the National Veterinary Professionals Union, but with a different union. So our, our mission and, and goal is to help veterinary team members improve their work lives by, by joining together in solidarity and working through collective action and collective bargaining to create change in their practices. The other side, the flip side of unionization is the ability to keep the things that you like. Right. Uh, so the things that you really, really like about your practice or your practice group or your corporation, uh, those things can go away basically at the, at the drop of a hat, right? Somebody makes a decision that they want to do something different and they can change what it is that you love. And Liz, actually, it's not the drop of a hat, it's change in ownership. And I think that that's something that I really want to make sure that you find us understand that, that unions not only help promote and expand what you've got, but they preserve what you love the most. And, you know, look, 
I am a fan of this because I know that this is one of those pathways to improving our profession overall. And I think this is one of many strategies that we have to employ. But, you know, Liz, I think that in this age of consolidation, people don't understand how precarious their current benefits, workplace environment, everything they love about their job really is. And, and maybe you could speak to that just a second, because I think sometimes when people hear union, they go, oh, bad boy, whoa. And, and that's all wrong. But <laughs> remind them about preserving what you got. Yeah, this is something that was really brought into pretty stark focus for me here uh, just a, a, about a month or maybe two months ago now. I am in the San Francisco Bay Area and a practice in Oakland, California, which is in the East Bay. Uh, They closed and they closed suddenly. Uh, They were taking deposits all through the Friday, uh, even though they were making surgery appointments uh, and seeing appointments all through the weekend and Sunday night, they got an email that said, don't come to work. The practice is closed. No warning. No indication of what would happen to them. Certainly no severance or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, Just you're closed. So with a union, the difference would have been, uh, number one, we would have had a warning for the workers. They would have known that, that the practice was closing because that is a change in work conditions. And anytime there's a change in work conditions in an organized workplace, the people making the change have to talk to the union about those changes. They cannot make unilateral changes. So they would have had a warning. They would have had the opportunity to negotiate collectively as a group with the owners of the practice to say, okay, how is this going to affect us? How are you going to, one of the terms of art is make us whole, uh, meaning how are you going to compensate us for this sudden loss of our job? Um, How are you going to make sure we're taken care of before we are able to find another job or whatever, because of course the closure had nothing to do with the team there. By all accounts, the hospital was profitable. They were seeing, like I said, they were seeing patients all the way up until they got the sudden closure. So it was a real surprise. And that was something that really brought this into stark focus, what we're doing with the union. Yeah. And again, just imagine you work at a great clinic, you're not going to close, but your owner sells to some corporate entity or whomever, right? And suddenly, I mean, and let's face it, they typically don't do this overnight, Liz, but maybe over the next six months, suddenly your benefits package shifts and maybe not the right direction. And maybe your working hours extend and not in a favorable fashion. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen. And so I think that one of the things that union strives to do is to keep it constant and expected. That's right. One thing I think, you know, we I recently had an experience with this through my husband where they um, they switched everybody from second shift to first shift. They just basically consolidated down to one. So his work schedule was, you know, turned completely upside down. Yeah. And I, one thing I think about our 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 industry is sort of the, um, you know, in, in the tendency to be. Um, introverted. See, I couldn't even remember the word. I'm so not introverted. I couldn't even remember what you call it. Um, the I was like, their eyes. What, what are the eyes? The introverted folks in our industry who maybe co- courageous conversations are not the easiest thing, right? Maybe right. management isn't going to treat them nicely. Maybe they're worried about retaliation. So when this change happened for my husband, they just immediately went to their union rep and they were like, hey, this change is happening. We don't love it. And they knew they had somebody to lean into to have that quote-unquote courageous conversation right. on right. their behalf where 
they didn't have to worry about retaliation or management getting mad or or just their even just their own communication skills. Right. And and this is why the power of collective bargaining is so important to understand, right? Because Liz, you know, I think often people are like, oh, unions just try to milk, you know, employers out of all their money, right? And that's just not the truth. Uh, if there are so many issues in vet medicine that you wish you could speak on behalf of your entire team, hey, this is affecting us adversely or our patient care is suffering because of this or whatever, right? And and that being able to assemble as one, Liz, that's really true power, especially in the workplace. That is really our only power, especially yeah, when we're right. looking at these uh, corporate practices. That is the only power we have is the power of the collective because managers all the way up the chain can dismiss a single person or a couple of people who might come to them with concerns. Uh, they can sweep those under the rug. They can pretend to do something about them or just ignore it, right? Um, but when it's a whole team, it makes it very, very difficult to ignore. It creates, it does create, or I guess, re-deliver your voice in the workplace. So those of us who came up in this profession working either, you know, as a practice owner, uh, Dr. Ward, for example, or, you know, as a team member working for privately owned practices, you know, I always felt like I had a voice because I could always go to the practice owner because they were right. working right next to me. We right. were in the surgery suite together. We were, you know, placing, we were holding a dog for a vaccine. We were whatever we were doing together. Um, and that made it much more, much more simple to have those conversations about how things are going, what we'd like to have changed. And often those people were coming to us to ask us. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a corporate practice, that often doesn't happen. Yeah. In fact, I, the, the, they're dismissed and say, you got to take that up with corporate. I mean, guys, viewfinders, you're hearing this out there. Okay. So, so Liz, now uh, what you've been trying to do is encourage different groups who maybe yeah. felt this way to, to begin the process. And just, yes. can you give us the very short, brief, you know, <laughs> summary of how you go about starting this process of unionization? Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm, let me see. Shortening. So uh, the first thing that I think is most important is that people who embark on this uh, keep it secret as long as possible. And I hate that I have to say that, but unfortunately, because we have um, large corporate groups who are very scared of organization, they will often mount a union busting campaign as soon as they hear any whisper of organizing. Um, so we try to keep these the efforts on the DL. Uh, so what most people do, or what we encourage people to do, is to create an organizing committee, which is a group of about 10 to 15% of the total workforce at the practice. And these are the people who are going to talk to their coworkers about organizing, trying to create that solidarity that will become so important, particularly during a union busting campaign. And for anyone who is interested in what union busting looks like, uh, John Oliver on his show last week yeah. tonight, last season did a fantastic yeah. um, uh, show, a whole entire show about union busting. It was uh, my husband will attest that I watched that show yelling at the TV, like, <laughs> yes, yes, oh my God, that happens every time. Oh, this is exactly what they do. It is, um, 
it is accurate. Uh, well, and it's a playbook. I mean, right? This is not new. I mean, this has been going on for decades. And, and the maybe- interesting thing about the playbook is it hasn't changed in decades because they don't have anything new that they can say about why unions aren't the right way to go for workers in this country. There's just no... There's, right. <laughs> there's a very yeah, and difficult give us a couple argument. of examples. I think we've heard a lot in the news with Starbucks and Amazon, but those yeah. are that's they're both using the same exact tactics. But that's maybe right. just I mean, there are really three or four message points they they continually just get out. Yeah, what our I learned the term the phrase from our union partners. They use tears, fears, and smears. Right. So the first step is to make you feel bad for them. Oh, we didn't know this was a problem. Just oh, let, us, let know. us give us a give us a time to fix it. We we're like a family here. We want to be a family. You don't want a third party coming in to to mess up what, this good thing we have going, which is... Uh, therapists the, are pretty good most of the time, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and the biggest joke about that is, of course, a union is not a third party. It is the people in right. the workplace who <laughs> right. have created the union. It's your um, family. Literally, it's the family. It, it is literally <laughs> They're all the coming family. together <laughs> to make right. an intervention. It's like, <laughs> we had to get together because your your behavior, and so, you know... Like, I'm also okay. thinking about how many people have toxic families, and I'm kind of yeah. like, meh. So you can say you're my family, but that doesn't mean a lot. That doesn't right, go so that's super the tears far. Part. So, now, yeah. now, so, so when and that then the doesn't fears, work... Right, yeah. then the fears, right? So your managers won't be able to help on the floor. Right. Your supervisors won't be able to come into... A, like. Oh, if an animal's crashing, they won't be able to help you with CPR. These are the fears type things we hear, which also aren't true. Also, another big fear is you're going to go into negotiations and get less than what you have right now, Right. which is right. a huge joke. Why would anyone anywhere organize if they had an opportunity of getting less than what they have now? And why would they ratify or sign or agree to a contract that gave them less? than what they have. They wouldn't, which means unions wouldn't survive. So. And, then, and then the last is really the most frightening for people that are trying to do this in secret. They're trying to get together with their, their yeah. coworkers, and that's the smears. The and smears. Describe some of the things that you've seen out there, the smears. So the smears are both personally directed and directed at the union. So they will you know, dredge up 300 or 200-year-old history of these unions not 300, I guess that's a little long. <laughs> you know, but 150-year history of these organizations, there's a lot that has happened in the history of these organizations. Like when I say the Teamsters, people have an idea in their mind, and a lot of people, their first, their first thing they think of is Jimmy Hoffa. Um, and so, like, there's, this, there's that part. And then they'll do individual smears as well. Like, well, what do you think? Why do you think this person wants to do it? It's because they hate their manager or they hate the corporation or they, uh, did you know they have such and such a thing that happened in their past, right? They'll try to bring up, dredge up a lot of past stuff to discredit the people who are working to create change. It kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, the, the flipping that narrative is like, no, they're actually probably doing it because they love their job. Like if they, right. if they hated right. their job, they would go look for a different one. That's exactly this right. This is, I love my job and I want to keep it as it is. And I'm not honestly like falling on one side or the other. I've said this every time that you're on. Like I think this sounds great and like protects people, but I don't have like a drop in the bucket knowledge of you. I support the work that you're doing and the people who want to unionize being supported because as 
professionals, like if we want something and and it is reasonable and deserved, we should have it. So I am fairly neutral in this because I don't feel like I know a whole lot about it. But what I do know is it's like when you when I hear that, like they hate their manager, they hate their job, they hate this, they hate that. I'm like, no, I actually think they love it and want to protect it. And that's That's a lot of what this is about. Right. I mean, it's about protecting it. One thing, and, and not to take a left turn, but I live in a state where it's like uh, at will working. And like when you and I first talked about this, I was like, oh, well, I live in a state where you can't unionize. You're not allowed. So I think a lot of people think that as well. So I think that's an important thing to speak to. And I think you've, you've spoken to it before when you've been here, but I think it's important to bring it up. Yeah, I think on a couple of your points there, Becky, was so, so prescient. I think one thing is it's really important for the people who get, you know, quote unquote, hit with a union campaign. You know, they usually, hopefully, if we've done our job right, it's a surprise. And we want it to be a surprise for lots of reasons. Uh, But the main reason that people do this is because they want to make their workplace everything that they think it can be. They want it to be great. They want it to make money because they know when their practice makes money, they will make more money. Um, So they, this is something This is the reason that people organize. It's not out of a negative place. It's out of an incredibly positive place. So that's that's that first part, Becky, that you said that I think is so important uh, to to emphasize. And then the the second part uh, is that organizing is is a federally guaranteed right and it's a federally protected right. So everyone in the United States has the right to come together with their coworkers to act collectively and to bargain collectively. This is a right afforded by the National Labor Relations Act uh, that was passed way back in the 30s. And just like you have a right to talk about your salary with your, with, or your pay with other people in your workplace or whoever you want, really, <laughs> um, right. you have that right. You have the right to organize. It doesn't matter um, if your state is a right-to-work state or an at, everyone basically is at will employed in this country, except I think in Montana is the only state in the United States that says you have to tell someone why you're firing them, um, which is another union protection, the, the idea of just cause. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So I think those are all really everyone can, can organize. Yeah. And, you know, Liz, I've heard the same thing, you know, both in politics and in business. And I always just simply usually ask the question, especially if it's a man, <laughs> go, do you like professional sports? <laughs> well, yeah. then, you, then you support a union. <laughs> That's right. Also, if you, you know, a lot of times in the union busting, the corporations will use the veterinarians because the vet, we don't represent veterinarians as part of our union. And they will leverage the veterinarians to union bust every day on the floor, right? In there talking about what a bad idea it is. Why would you do this? Uh, You're tearing the the team apart, really, really leaning on on that side. And then I, when I talk to these people who are being subject to this, I tell them, well, ask the vet if they have a contract. Right. Because all of those veterinarians have a contract with the corporation that they're working for. And why is a, why is a contract Good for them, but not for you. 
Exactly. Okay, so we've we've kind of given a great overview of what you need to do and what you need to know. So yeah. tell us uh, what's happened. I mean, I know there have been several high-profile, at least in the veterinary press, cases of individual clinics that have yeah. unionized. So bring us up to speed on where we are with those and maybe what's happening uh, in the near future. Yeah, so the biggest news, what, what was so exciting before I got to AVMA was that Thrive Veterinary Pet Healthcare, veterinary care, <laughs> whatever their name is, <laughs> Thrive. Changing. That's right. Um, they finally agreed to recognize the bargaining unit uh, represented by the machinists in New York, in Rochester, New York, at uh, the Veterinary Specialist and Emergency Services. And that's very exciting. It means they are going to go to the bargaining table and start working on their contract, which but is Liz, super, they didn't super just do exciting. this uh, of their own free they will, didn't. right? They had to no. they had to go through the court system to that, get well, there. Well, yes. So what happened there was the group came together. They filed their petition with the National Labor Relations Board saying they wanted to be recognized as a collective bargaining unit. Okay. And Thrive objected to to their bargaining unit saying that uh, no, because we bought a bunch of hospitals as a group of hospitals in the area, you have to organize them all. Um, you can't just organize the specialty, the specialty office. Right, right. Even though, right, and these these hospitals don't share management, they don't share a budget, they don't share equipment, they don't share staff. So it was really, it was, we, it was a Hail Mary. Um, and, you know, evidenced by, I think that they submitted something like 150 exhibits to try and prove that there was, <laughs> that these were wow. all a group. Um, it, it just, the, it didn't fly. Yeah. And they used the same tactic with they Starbucks did. and they with did. Amazon. That's I mean, right. come on guys, this is play, playbook step one. That's right. <laughs> say, so you can't do it individually. You got to do the aggregate, right. which of And course, then we won, we won that argument. So they said, no, this is fine. They can move forward just as their hospital and vote, which they did. And they won their union election, I think two to one. So uh, there were two yes votes for every no vote for the union. So it was a huge win. Um, and so the next step usually is that election is certified by the National Labor Relations Board, and then you move to bargaining. But Thrive decided to appeal the initial decision of the regional board and took it to the national board. Um, even though the election had already happened, like it was a done deal. So we were just in this holding pattern waiting for the national board to make a decision, which... Uh, I think they were about to do, they had issued some statements where they had used Thrive as an example. They had used this case. The union had been acting like a union the whole time. So they had been filing unfair labor practices, which is the, the, the recourse you have when you don't have the actual union in place. You can't file a grievance with your union because you don't have a contract. So what you do instead while you're in this process is anything that comes up that they won't discuss with you or bargain with you, you file an unfair labor practice. So we had a couple of those pending. It was clear the winds that were blowing at the NLRB were not blowing in favor of Thrive. So they said, if you guys get rid of these ULPs, we will agree to come to the bargaining table. And so they hashed that out. And now they will be uh, going to bargaining probably in the next couple of weeks. 
Right, which is where they should have been weeks That's and right. weeks or months ago. And, and again, ago. You know, yeah. these delay tactics, guys, are just meant to break your will, right? That's right. I mean, this is this is part of the smears campaign or, or fears or whatever you want to call it. But you know, again, Liz, where, where what disappoints me the most is that we're going to see more of this, and we're going to see these corporations and entities that basically talk about how they're to, they're to help you with a better work life balance and right. uh, workplace environments that's nurturing and comforting and all that stuff. But let me let me say this: if you then say well, that's great. Can we just get that in writing forever? <laughs> that's yeah. whenever you're going to really see their true colors. And that's what I think you know, is going to happen around the country. Yeah. None of those things my family does, by the way. Just going back to the family idea. They do yeah, not contribute to my workplace. Therapy balance. helps. They Therapy do yeah. not. Um, so anyway, I, I want to see too, I guess... Um, what is the, the what how have the winds of change been with support or opposition, right? Like you guys came out, people were like, Oh my god, technicians can't think on their own. What? <laughs> and we're like, you know, it was terrifying. Like, are you getting support? Are people terrified? Are they fighting this? Like, I understand on the corporate individual affected level, there is opposition, right? But what are you getting from the higher level associations and industry? Yeah. I, um, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, I think that most organizations uh, really, they're, they're in a bind. Uh, our profession is so driven by corporate support, particularly one corporation in particular, that one being Mars. And we are, our organizations are bankrolled by these corporations in a lot of ways. And so it is very difficult for them to take a stand positively supporting unionization in veterinary medicine because these corporations are so opposed to it. So I think that has complicated the issue of support. Uh, I think we are, we ask for neutrality from these organizations at a minimum. That is our, Agreed. we understand the pressure that they're under. Uh, but what we, what we don't want is for them to come out and oppose the movement altogether. And we haven't really had any discussions. No one from the AVMA, for example, has approached us. We had one conversation way back in the beginning when we first started these efforts with NAVTA. Uh, but recently there haven't been there hasn't been any uh, further conversations with NAFTA. There has been, as I said, nothing with the AVMA and very limited conversations with state groups. There have been a couple of states here and there who have been interested. Um, I speak to veterinary technician programs, uh, you know, with some regularity. I've spoken with some vet school students as well. Uh, but there's not a big push, either pro or con, from our national organizations. Okay, and, and honestly, I'm 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 want to explore that just slightly further. So basically, you're saying that you would like neutrality, but they they aren't doing they are they being neutral? I mean, I guess because my <laughs> my impression was that there were several that, that over the yeah. past few years there's been a lot of sort of content uh, yes. that, that yes. has been negative around unionization. Yes, I yes. Yes. <laughs> we hope for, I mean, 
ultimately, we'd love to have full-throated support of these organizations. We'd like them to recognize that our efforts aren't aimed at tearing anyone or any company down. Our efforts are aimed at improving all of the things they claim to want to improve. So keeping veterinary support team members in the profession, um, helping them have better work-life balance by making sure that they're paid a living wage so that they can focus on self-actualization because they don't have to worry about putting food on the table. So that's what we would like. Uh, we will take neutrality, understanding the pressures that these organizations are under. What we have had in the past is a negative response to what we're doing. Uh, I had a meeting with NAVDA, as I said, many years ago, different constitution of the executive board. Uh, we discussed unionization. We talked about the issues involved and what we were trying to do. They assured me they would uh, be neutral, and they instead came out with some very negative, uh, frequently yeah. asked questions, I guess is what yeah. they called it, yeah. about unionization. I can't find that statement on their website anymore, so I don't know what their current stand is. As I said, the AVMA has never reached out to us to talk to us, and this is not surprising because we are a support team member organization, and they don't include support team members in their organization. So even though our efforts are likely to impact a lot of their members, they they haven't chosen to, to speak with us, but three years ago at the AVMA convention, they had a anti-union talk right. on the on the schedule. Yeah, I remember that. So yeah. I guess that's. I think that's. I want to. I'd like to explore that. <laughs> and and you know, I've been pretty outspoken about frustrations around organizations and the lip service and sort of how. I guess when I was attending conferences this year, thinking about organizations that don't allow membership from technicians, however, accept registration fees from them, made me kind of think, that seems a little bit unfair. And then to <laughs> yeah. your point right there, it's like, should these political action and these representative organizations um, even be, I mean, they, they gatekeep. So to say, as you, as you meant, you know, the good eloquent way you put it earlier, <laughs> um, some of the things that come out and like if they had an anti-union, like how could they not have you there to talk about the other side? And, you know, I guess I just kind of want to put the idea out there and see your thoughts on like sh how how is that even OK, I guess. And, and should that be challenged? Yeah, I have had I mean, I have been pretty vocal about this, I would say, uh, on social media and in my dealings with uh, various organizations. I think that it is unconscionable that the AVMA does not allow technicians to be members of their organization, but make a lot of decisions and have a lot of discussions about how veterinary technicians and veterinary assistants should quote unquote, be uh, utilized or not utilized or their education programs. Uh, I don't think it's right that the AVMA accredits our veterinary technology programs um, and is, you know, it kind of, I don't want, I don't want to say in league with, but works closely with the AAVSB to establish the ways in which we're examined to be determined to be competent to be veterinary technicians, being the VT&E, you know, I don't think 
that the AVMA should be the organization to do that since they don't allow us to be members or to participate in the conversations that they're having. And I think the other side of that is the, and this is something that I'm just recently kind of becoming aware of, is their political action committees. Right. uh, right. The donations that the AVMA makes to, to lawmakers who are working actively against many of the things that I hold very dear and feel very strongly about. And the AVMA isn't, I don't feel like the AVMA is doing any of us uh, women <laughs> or or particularly veterinary workers, team members, they're not doing us any favors. No. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, Becky, this is again one of those issues that I think you've championed, and of course, you and others like Liz really continue to illuminate the fact that here are people that are not only profiting off of you, but they're making decisions about your professional yeah. pathways and abilities, and you can't have any say in that. I, and I just, people I within the within the AVMA don't even understand the depth to which this this impacts us. So they, um, I had a, I had someone within the AVMA reach out and say, we'd love to make this, we have an appointment open for a committee and we'd love to make it uh, competitive. We'd like to have many people for them to choose from to appoint to the committee. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. I would love that too. And so I looked at the requirements for the committee and the person the opening for the veterinary technician on the committee, it has, so you either have to be on a committee for AVMA, you have to be a member of AVMA, or you have to be nominated by an organization that is a member of the AVMA. That means your local CVMA, you know, your veterinary medicine association, but many technicians aren't involved in their veterinary medical associations. If they are, maybe they're just members, but like to get involved in those state organizations is very difficult for veterinary technicians and assistants. So that means, you know, what they do is they go to the organizations like NAVTA, which again, I have also been a very vocal critic of NAVTA over the years because they don't represent us as a profession. They have a minimum number of members. They don't represent even a percentage of us, like a meaningful percentage of us in the country. And so when the AVMA goes to NAVTA and says, please suggest someone to serve on this committee, they, they just get the same people over and over again. And there's no competition because there's no one else. These VMAs aren't nominating veterinary technicians for these positions because we are so far down on their priority list. It just doesn't happen. And then they fill the position with someone who probably has had that role for many years already or similar roles. Well, I, I think it I think it goes to say, I mean, 17 states allow technicians or associate memberships to the VMA. And so the majority of technicians can't be uh, active in their VMA. So to your point, and then I think we're again cherry picking uh, who gets us allotted? I know that I've I've struggled with this in my own state with, um, you know, feeling like the people who are out there representing, you know, and even on our, our medical board, there is minimum representation to the point of um, individuals, again, feeling kind of bullied and outnumbered. And, and so they can't make any momentum because, uh, again, that sort of lip service representation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Liz, as we kind of finish up today's conversation, a couple of quick things I want. Uh, number one, I want to find out how people can 
learn more about this. Maybe they're sitting there going, well, I really like my job. I really like the current benefits and and workplace environment, and I'd like to make sure I preserve that. So I'd like you to tell them how they can find out more. And then the other thing, maybe leave us with a few things that we can do maybe to to help change some of these organizations. If people that are out there listening, we have a broad listenership and thank you viewfinders, but maybe some of those people are in positions of authority and power, and maybe this is something that speaks to them. So what can they do? Oh, that's such a good point. Thank you. So the first thing to reach me, um, communications with an S at natvpu.org. So natvpu.org is also our website that stands, excuse me, stands for National Veterinary Professionals Union, natvpu.org. They can reach me there. They can reach us via Facebook. National Veterinary Professionals Union has a page. You can message us there. Uh, really me. <laughs> like Becky <laughs> says, if you email, it's going to be me. If you Facebook message, you better include <laughs> me because I'm going to be the one answering. Right, right. Um, so it's going to be me. Uh, that's how you can get in touch with me. Uh, we try to keep our, we're actually, I'm going to be rolling out some updates to our website soon that's going to include some basic organizing information too, which I've been trying to keep really secret. But I think it's uh, more important that the information gets out there than that we expose our playbook to anybody. They know what we're doing. So that will be updated soon. On the AVMA side, on the advocacy side period, what we need, I think, and Becky, please chime in because I know you have thoughts on this too. We need the people in the room to advocate for us and on our behalf. The only reason, for example, that the AVMA created a technician utilization committee was because a veterinarian stood up in a meeting where they were talking about veterinary technician utilization. This veterinarian stood up and said, there are no veterinary technicians in this room. How can we be having this conversation without veterinary technicians? They never even thought of forming, of inviting us to be on a committee (laughs) um, to talk about these issues that are just fundamental to our work lives in veterinary medicine. So we need more veterinarians like that. Shout out to Dr. Stephen Steep. Thank you for doing that. We need more veterinarians to stand up and advocate on our behalf in these rooms where we are not allowed. Yeah, I think it, it, it's the sentiment of change in general, right? There is a level of privilege, right? right? So it's sort of like um, it, when it comes to women's rights, men have to be the one leading that change because obviously, you know, they have <laughs> yeah. to speak up for, for their mean, cohorts. they don't have and, to lead, but they have to be vocal in their support because sure. oftentimes it is only other men who will listen. Right. And that can be wage differences. That can sure. be, you know, whatever it is. And so here is the same thing. It's it's not any different than any other form of advocacy. And I want to say, like, to your point, it's not malicious. It's oblivious. They don't that's even right. realize they don't have a technician in the room. And they're, they're a lot of times they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Um, we, yeah. sh- we totally should. But it's it's like pure oblivion, which to us seems like obvious, but it is truly like, there, that is not something that they're even realizing in these conversations. Right. Yeah. That's All right. exactly well, guys, right. We could go on and on, Liz. I mean, you are just a wealth of energy and information. And I can't thank you enough for, for not only spending time with us today and the Viewfinder family, but for advocating for change. I mean, because at the end of the day, Viewfinders, all people like Liz and Becky and, and countless others out there are doing is trying to 
keep this profession as good as it can be. And when they see areas that it can be better, they're going to keep pushing to get it better. And when they see things they want to preserve, they're going to push to keep it. And so I think this is one of those strategies that really has impact on all of us around the country, around the world. And again, Liz, thank you so much. We'll have all the links in the show notes below. But Liz, again, Liz Houston, extraordinary, as I've mentioned multiple times. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me and both of you, seriously, for continuing to move the conversation forward, the profession forward. It's just one of my favorite uh, podcasts, and uh, you guys are just doing a great job, and thank you. Oh, gosh, thank thanks. You. Well, Viewfinders, what do you think about unionization? What do you think about advocacy within some of our organized uh, groups of veterinary medicine? What can you do to make sure that our, I guess, our voices are being heard collectively? And what can you do within your own clinic today to make sure you preserve it as good as it can be and maybe make it better for tomorrow? We really want to hear from you. Becky, how can we hear from them? I guess you can find us on Facebook <laughs> and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can tweet at Vet Viewfinder and send us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. We can't wait for you to give us feedback on this uh, edition. It's a really spectacular conversation. Until next week, guys, you guys stay safe out there. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 This is the only guest we don't have to tell us to give a bye because she knows to give a bye. <laughs> no, people don't say bye. No, you don't say bye. Every Most single don't. time. Most don't. <laughs> it, it, like eight out of ten times, Ernie's like, give us a bye. Especially because we just have said bye. Well, I guess you don't want to be presumptive.